welcome everyone to episode 33 of That's So Second Millennium. I'm Paul Giesting, joined by, uh, we're very happy to have Dr. Stephen Barr from the University of Delaware and the Society of Catholic Scientists here talking with us. Uh, and of course, uh, the omnipresent Bill Schmidt is also here. <laughs> Good to be back so, with you, uh, Paul, and certainly welcome, Dr. Barr. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. So, Bill, I think you were going to lead off with uh, an announcement that has just come out about uh, some very basic uh, features of modern astronomy. Well, we've talked in the past, uh, Paul, about uh, your um, uh, attendance at the meeting of the Society of Catholic Scientists, uh, which uh, Dr. Barr heads. And um, uh, we've uh, we uh, received news last week that um, uh, the, uh, the Society of Catholic Scientists was drawing uh, uh, happy attention to uh, a very interesting move that bespeaks the uh, compatibility of religion and science. Uh, it turns out that the International uh, Astronomical Union has recommended the uh, change uh, of the name of the Hubble Law, a law of cosmology, a very basic law of cosmology, uh, and changed it to the Hubble-Lemaitre uh, law, and that uh, honors a, a Catholic priest, um, uh, Georges Lemaitre, who um, I uh, sometimes in my worst punning moments call the father of the Big Bang Theory, but uh, it's nevertheless uh, a very interesting reach back and um, uh, also a very uh, kind of inspiring um, uh, word for the present day, it occurred to me, uh, along the lines that you and I are always talking about, Paul, the, uh, that uh, stressing that compatibility of a life of faith with a, uh, a vocation to science. So I just wanted to uh, mention that uh, news uh, release uh, to Dr. Barr and again, get your uh, most up-to-date uh, reactions and comments on that, sir. Yes, well, it was a very uh, uh, it, it, you know, gratifying move. It was a vote taken by the membership of the uh, International Astronomical Union. That's the organization to which most of us astronomers and astrophysicists in the world belong. And they overwhelmingly voted to recommend that a basic law of cosmology be renamed uh, in honor of the Catholic priest and physicist, uh, Georges Lemaitre, who uh, proposed the Big Bang Theory. Uh, and so, they, as you said, they renamed something that has been generally called the Hubble Law, which describes right. how the universe expands, uh, to be the Hubble-Lemaitre Law. Now, I, I have to say, I, I have a hard time pronouncing Lemaitre's name because I don't <laughs> speak French. Uh, I, I might just say uh, Le Maitre or Le Maire, <laughs> Fair enough. because I can't consistently pronounce the, the French name correctly. But um, yeah, so this was a very good uh, step uh, because uh, Father Le, uh, Le Maitre has been is not well known to the public and actually is not even well known to most physicists, but um, and hasn't has tended to be overshadowed by some some other people. Uh, associated with the Big Bang theory, but most people recognize uh, in the in, within the field of cosmology that he was really the the main person who proposed uh, is most to be credited with proposing the Big Bang theory. 
mm-hmm. and that that's something that most Catholics are not aware of. Uh, it's a shame that most Catholics are not aware that one of the great theories of modern science, really the, the uh, every bit as important to say or Darwinian evolution or uh, is, is, is the central idea in our understanding of how the universe began and 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 uh, evolves in time. Uh, was proposed by a physicist who was a Catholic priest. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's really kind of a shock compared to uh, our sort of modern idea that religion is this backward thing that uh, has nothing to do with what the universe is really like. Right. I mean, there's this myth, and the myth actually goes back to the late 19th century, uh, that science and religion have been at war with each other, and that the church... In particular, the, the Christians, and in particular the Catholic Church, perhaps, have been hostile to science, and uh, that there were two warring camps. Um, yeah. That's a complete misconception, and, and at real historians of science uh, uh, reject that as as a uh, an absurd myth. Um, in fact, uh, Le Maitre is one of uh, numerous Catholic priests who who uh, made major contributions to science. I mean, everyone's heard of Gregor Mendel. The priest yeah. who was the father of uh, genetics, but uh, yeah. and now I hope hopefully more people will come to realize that the father Lemaitre. Yeah. yeah. How oh. did that? Uh, how did that narrative of the separation of science and religion actually uh, come about, or or take such deep root as we see it today? I am told. Excuse me. Uh, Something popped up on my computer oh, screen. Okay. Um, I'm told that uh, it really took off in the late 19th century uh, for a number of reasons. One of the great experts on this is a, a historian at uh, Johns Hopkins uh, named uh, Lawrence Principe. And it, it, there were a variety of reasons for it. Uh, part of it was um, anti-Catholic prejudice in Protestant countries. Um, there's a lot of anti-Catholic prejudice at work, but even in, but in Catholic countries, uh, it was anti-clericalist. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of ideological forces um, uh, at work, and it would take actually about an hour to go into an explanation. But there were many people who, for whom it was convenient to portray religion as backward and science. It was also an attempt to build up science because. Science in the 19th century was really a very amateur thing. It didn't become professionalized until into the late 19th century. And scientists had to sort of uh, raise their own image in the public mind. Um, And part of that was, you know, religion was a foil for some of them. You know, we we are going to take over from religion and we are going to lead society into a brighter future. And but there were many reasons. It's but it it is a myth. It has no historical basis, really. Interesting. Yeah. 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 And that's, uh, you know, we we talk about, of course, I have done a little series on geosciences where we talk about people like Nicholas Steno, who was actually a Lutheran who converted to Catholicism. Right. became a priest, as well as, you know, Giuseppe Mercalli is the uh, um, attached to the, you know, the other scale for measuring earthquakes. Admittedly, we use the moment magnitude scale, which is sort of incorrectly called the Richter scale. But the Mercalli scale is just simply measuring how much damage the earthquake does. He right. was a very famous seismologist in the late 19th century as well. 
looks every bit as good in a Roman collar as a uh, guy Consul Magno does at the uh, Vatican Observatory, <laughs> I might also say. Right. So there you have another example in the case yeah. of Steno, who is, I think, regarded as one of the founders of the science of geology. He became yeah. a priest. In fact, he's blessed, the uh, Nicholas yeah. Steno. Um, one of the founders of modern astrophysics uh, was, a, was a priest named Angelo Secchi. Um, yeah. But there's a whole litany of them. Uh, and uh, the first asteroid was discovered by a scientist who was a Catholic priest. And I could go on listing many other names. But, uh, the church yeah. actually has a quite glorious record when it comes to science and uh, contributions to science, which, which um, I think slowly people are becoming more aware of. Um, fortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that kind of brings us to the whole mission of the, uh, Society of Catholic Scientists and what we're trying to, um, well, I mean, I speak, say we as, you know, I, I have joined it, but, uh, obviously you're <laughs> the leadership of it. And, uh, we could, we'd love to talk to you for a little bit about, uh, how you see that going forward. Right. Well, we founded it, uh, partly, to counteract this myth, uh, you know, the, 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 a lot of people, the general public sees the world of science as a kind of wasteland when it comes to religious faith. They imagine that scientists are all atheists. Um, and this is, can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, many people are so accustomed to that idea, that false idea that, that many religious scientists actually are keep their heads down and they keep quiet. Yeah. Uh, especially yeah. in the academic world. In the academic world, I think many people are aware that if you're out of step in your views, uh, it can be unhealthy for you uh, as far as your career goes. So many uh, religious scientists are actually quite uh, timid about um, about expressing their faith. So, so as a result, there's a sense of isolation. Many religious scientists are not aware because many there is this perception that that religion is uh, uh, the science the science world is uh, uh, filled with with atheists. Uh, many religious people in the sciences uh, keep their heads down and are uh, quiet about it, and and that that becomes a vicious circle because the quieter religious scientists are, the and the more no, vocal atheist scientists are. Uh, the more that feeds on itself. And uh, and as a consequence, religious scientists are often unaware of how many other religious scientists are out there. And yeah. the public is even more unaware. And yeah. so we decided, some of us, to uh, start this organization. So it's, you know, we're tired of uh, Daniel, of uh, the Richard Dawkinses and so on, claiming to speak for all scientists. So we started this group two years ago. Yeah. And um, I'm glad to say that we're rapidly approaching a thousand members, um, and uh, because there are quite a lot of Catholic scientists out there, and uh, so what we hope to do is to first of all make a lot of Catholic scientists realize they're not alone, create uh, right. opportunities for them to have fellowship with each other, uh, intellectual and spiritual fellowship. That's the main goal. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's really invaluable. Right. So when I was young, I when I was in grad school, for example, I didn't know of any of my whether any of my professors were religious. I could not have named a single internationally known scientist who I knew to be religious. Right. Uh, I thought I had the impression I might be the only one in the world. You know, I mean, as far as anything I knew. And that's yeah. very demoralizing. So 
If you have a society with uh, an organization with thousands, as we hope to get to thousands and we expect to get to thousands of religious uh, Catholic scientists, uh, then Catholic scientists will, I think, be encouraged by that and um, and and not uh, it'll you know reduce their sense of isolation and demoralization. But also, it will be a witness to the world uh, mm-hmm. how many scientists are religious and uh, and not in just some vague way, but you know believe in a, a traditional religion, uh, orthodox believers. Um, and so that's another goal: is to to witness to the world at large. Yeah. 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 It's something tremendously valuably needed. So you see the uh, the conferences that the Society of Catholic Scientists put on as part of that public sort of outreach. Right. So we've had one of the things so far since we're so new, you know, we only started in the summer of 2016. The main thing we've done is um, is to have an annual conference. Uh, and and the first one was held in Chicago, was quite successful. Uh, mm-hmm. At that time, we only had 330 members worldwide, and about a hundred, about uh, a quarter of the members showed up for that uh, very successful mm-hmm. conference. And then the second conference was held at Catholic U, Catholic yeah. University, back back uh, in June. Uh, we had more members showing up. I think we had about 130 members show up. At, and uh, the next conference is going to be in uh, at Notre Dame in, in South Bend, mm-hmm. India. That's so, great. June or July in in early June, June seventh to ninth. Uh, the conferences are from are, are basically for members, which means they're for Catholic scientists who belong to the society. Or we also have some theologians and philosophers and historians of science and other non scientists who uh, are affiliated, connected with the society, and mm-hmm. uh, and we also have a leavening of those. We have maybe twenty percent of the people at the conference are theologians and philosophers and, and so on. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So the next conference, the first conference was uh, about origins, the origin of the universe, the origin of life, the origin of uh, species and so on, Um, which as appropriate to our first conference, (laughs) the origin of our organization, the beginning. The second was about the the mind. And the question Mm -hmm. is, is the mind reducible to matter? Because we're not just dealing, we're not, what we're up against is not just atheists. This is something people don't realize. The people, the new atheists aren't just atheists, they're materialists. They're they're much more radical than atheists. They don't just deny God exists. They say everything is matter. So the the soul does not exist. So we are nothing but uh, we're nothing but an assortment, a a structure made of atoms. So we don't have a spiritual soul. We don't have free will and so on. And so the second conference was dealing with that question. The third is going to be what is it? to be human. And we're going to be talking about the limits of the human, both from the uh, when does a particular human life begin and end, uh, the origin of, of, of the human race. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about Neanderthals. Did they, did they have language and reason? You know, how did human race come into being? Um, and so uh, we're also going to maybe even talk a little bit about extraterrestrial life. And wow. That. So, yeah, so we're going to have uh, some interesting topics. That'll be fascinating. Yeah. And my understanding is uh, I was, you know, I was there in uh, at uh, Washington, but I was not at the conference in Chicago. My understanding is that both times you've um, you've invited someone, you know, outside the Catholic faith to come and give a talk to sort right. of you know, beef right. it up intellectually speaking, you know, generate a little bit of debate. Right. So 
we actually have even more at the third conference. Uh, the, at the first conference, um, one of our main speakers, our keynote speaker, was a very distinguished cosmologist uh, from uh, Cambridge University, a fellow of the Royal Society, uh, uh, mm-hmm. rather a big shot, but who's not a Catholic. He, he is right. Christian, but not a Catholic. Um, we also had at our um, first conference a wonderful talk by a, a man from a professor at MIT uh, on the origin of language. And he was giving, he, he's Jewish um, mm-hmm. and not Catholic. And he gave a talk, uh, the thesis of his talk, uh, brilliant talk really, was that uh, only human beings of all the uh, species on earth have language in in uh, this, the way we have it. Animals have communication systems. They communicate yeah. with signs and sounds, but they don't really have language in the sense we do. And uh, so uh, at the second conference, we, we had um, also a very distinguished professor uh, from Harvard who gave a talk about um, having to do with computers and whether computers can do everything that a mind can do. Uh, right. So Peter uh, Kellner of Harvard. Peter at the Kellner. next conference, we're also having some distinguished non-Catholic uh, speakers. Um, so, yeah, we, 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 we're not, we don't just want to be talking to ourselves. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I thought Peter Kellner's talk was really fascinating and uh, was really interested to dig into that a little bit more afterward to try to talk about it with the podcast. I, I remember sitting there thinking, because I, I, if I remember correctly, his his talk, oh, uh, I forget whose principal, famous 20th century. Uh, Kirk, Kirk, Kirk. Yeah, yeah. The, right. uh, the, whole, the whole idea about whether the ability, I mean, more or less than the, the, the ability to reason mathematically that, you know, you you cannot reduce human thoughts to a, you know, an algorithm. More or less. Well, that was he talked about that. Now, interestingly, uh, yeah, there's an argument. There's a very important theorem proved in the 20th century called Gödel's theorem, and right. uh, it had to do with uh, what computer. What essentially it had to do with what uh, computers can and cannot do. And so, on the basis of that theorem, some people have argued that um, there are certain things the human mind can do that a computer could not. Uh, replicate. Um, Actually, Peter Kellner doesn't quite buy that argument, uh, but he gave it, I think, the most rigorous uh, treatment of anybody, I think, alive today. He's really a very expert on that whole question, and he gave a very uh, high-level talk. The the person who's going to speak at our next conference, I'm very excited about, um, we just uh, agreed to speak um, uh, last week. And uh, he's one of the world's experts on on human origins and uh, how we're related to other, you know, proto-human or archaic human species. And he yes. has interesting things to say about, say, for example, Neanderthals. Did did Neanderthals, who are our cl- sort of closest cousins, um, did they have language? Uh, yeah. Did they were they able to think abstractly? Uh, did they have reason? And yeah. if they had reason then they would have had spiritual souls. Uh, he's of the view that they didn't have, well, they didn't have language in, in our sense. Okay. Um, so yeah. he, he thinks there's a big, but he's going to, I think that's going to be a fascinating talk. Um, on, yeah. It's a very hot subject right now. Hmm. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that will be intriguing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just, I just remember the walking away from Peter Kellner's talk and thinking, you know, that it, that it kind of came down to, you know, more of a, um, a disjunction between, well, it could be the sort of standard interpretation that, you know, mind is superior to material, or it could be that there are mathematical truths superior to mind. And I was sitting there in the audience thinking, sign me up. 
whichever yeah. one, right? Yeah. What makes it so that a very interesting topic? You see, Kurt Gödel, after whom the theorem is named, was one of the great logician, one mathematicians of the 20th century. Some regard him as having been the greatest logician since Aristotle. He was, right. uh, you know, uh, he was uh, up there, you know, one of the found, one of the first people with Einstein at the um, uh, at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton. So Gödel yeah. himself was religious. Actually, he believed in God. And he also believed that human minds were not just machines, that there was more to us than than the purely physical or mechanical. But uh, he also believed, uh, Gödel did, uh, that the world of mathematical objects, you know, mathematics is a world equally real to the physical world. Um, and but but not a material world, uh, the, the world right. of mathematical truths and mathematical objects. Um, is objective. We don't we don't invent math. We discover it. You know, it's a right. world that mathematicians explore and make discoveries in, mm -hmm. and that's very important too. I mean, philosophically, you know, the, yeah. it, it, that view that there's more to reality than what you can touch. There's also a, a, a reality that you can grasp with the mind, uh, but you, uh, that you can't touch. Uh, and and that's actually very important because if there's realities that are not physical material realities, that is something that is uh, congenial to religious belief. Uh, because right. as I said, the main enemy of religious belief in the modern world it makes religious claims automatic. Is everything's matter? Yeah, it's materialism. Yeah. That's what we're up against. It's, it's the people who yeah. say everything is just atoms, basically. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the, in, in, in the sort of old Democritan, you know, everything is just a, a chance agglomeration of atoms, right. as if atoms, you know, didn't have to have rules in order to do anything to create the world that we see, as if there didn't have to be some sort of order beneath them that, you know, expresses itself mathematically, as well as, you know, in the human mind and soul. Well, the modern materialists are a little more sophisticated in the sense that they do believe there are rules. That is the laws of physics, and they right. and they know uh, the, eighth, the contemporary atheists know that these rules are very sophisticated. They're not some kind of simple-minded rules that a child might think of. They're the rules that govern our universe. The mathematical laws of physics are of great mathematical depth and sophistication. Yes, uh, and uh, you have to study for many years to learn enough mathematics to really understand the laws of physics. Now, some of us then say, well, you know, where do these rules come from? Where do the laws come from? And the natural answer, which goes back to the early church, the laws right. come from a lawgiver, God. The reason there are laws is because there is a lawgiver who imposed order on the world. And, uh, and the reason these laws are so profound is because the mind that conceived them is a profound mind. And uh, atheists have no answer to this, of course. Uh, to them, the laws, there they are. They're just these deep mathematical laws. Don't ask why they're there. They're just right. there. Don't, don't look behind the curtain, yes. Don't look behind the curtain, right. Yeah, do your best not to do that. That seemed like a good place for us to cut the interview. Uh, we had about 20 more minutes, and we decided that uh, we'd give that to you next week. Uh, we really enjoyed talking to Dr. Barr, and uh, hopefully uh, we could get the, we can talk to him again in the future. Uh, so listen up for the rest of the interview next week, where we talk about uh, Stephen Barr's advice to uh, young Catholic uh, students who are thinking about science and the advantage of being a Catholic scientist. Stay tuned. Thanks. <laughs>